The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. We're back in action on this Monday and week. Burp. I've forgotten. I don't know what week we're on now. We're at that point in the offseason where I've lost track of how long we've been in the offseason. What are you going to do, man? What are you going to do? Let's see. The season ended on May the 16th, so that was week one, two, three, the first week of June, four, five. Ah, sixth week. All right. Very good. Five weeks in the hopper. This is off-season episode number 26 on Fantasy NBA Today. I'm your host, Dan Vespers. Thanks, as always, for tuning in, everybody. It is a distinct and lovely pleasure to have you all listening to the pod. Even through the off-season, this is... Some might consider this the doldrums. Boy, the playoffs have been good, though, haven't they? I know we can't do anything fantasy-wise with what we're seeing in the postseason, other than to say if someone has a really good game... They're going to probably get overinflated. Someone like a Terrence Mann, for instance, probably going to get overdrafted a little bit next year, if I had to guess. I mean, we'll see how the rest of the playoffs go. There's kind of no point in just guessing at stuff like that right now. There's no point. It doesn't do us any good. What are we going to do? Point back to June 21st? Oh, good summer solstice to you all. Point back to June 21st and say, hey, remember when we talked about Terrence Mann? Who cares, man? There, I think, may be too much emphasis placed on being the smartest person in the room in fantasy sports. Everybody wants to be the first person to something, whatever it might be. Problem is, a lot of times, by being the first person to one guy, you have to miss like 19 times to get there. You're constantly blowing up perfectly useful fantasy players and using up perfectly reasonable roster spots for guys that ultimately don't pan out and may even cost you an opportunity at somebody who's a bit more of a sure thing. So why? The only reason to bring up Terrence Mann right now in fantasy is to try to claim later that you were on it beforehand. I'm actually doing the opposite. I'm bringing it up early because I think a lot of people are going to be bringing it up later and we're going to go the other way. They zig, we zag. That's why we're the boring old man squad. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. This is a HoopBall presentation, hoop-ball.com, the website at HoopBall Tweets on Twitter. Want to shout out my buddy William Harris at the front end of today's podcast, who debuted his own show today. The first episode of the All Rookie Podcast is available Via the Hoopball Podcast Network, it's also everywhere pods can be found. iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, the whole deal. And it's awesome. It's all about rookies. So there's some good stuff to talk about right now for uh, all rookie first and second teams, rookie of the year, stuff like that. But it's going to cover the young guys in the NBA. Rookies as they work their way through the entire year. Uh, It's going to have draft stuff coming up. The NBA draft is not that far away from us here. About a month. A little less, is it? A little less than a month? You guys know my stance on rookies. I don't know anything about them. So this is the perfect podcast for me. I can listen to Wilm uh, and actually get, I don't know, any kind of info about the young guys coming into the NBA. 
It's going to track them throughout the year. It'll have uh, both a reality and a fantasy bent to it. And uh, when the season starts, I believe that'll be a daily podcast. Off-season is going to be more like a couple episodes a week. But really cool stuff. Again, it's called the All Rookie Podcast. And it is available everywhere podcasts can be found. 100% free from the great William Harris. So nice work there by Mr. H. Uh, please do go check that out for do yourself a favor. Do me a favor. Do William a favor. Go listen to our new show. By the way, it's not the only new show coming here at Hoopball. I know I've been telling you guys about all the pod stuff we've been working on behind the scenes. Yeah, this is all sports stuff. Remember, I mentioned to you guys, if you want to do a podcast, and it doesn't even have to be sports-related, hit me up. We are looking to dramatically expand our podcast offerings here at Hoopball, and you'd be working with me. So what joy for you, I'm sure. <laughs> on Friday, we did a playoff breakdown. Let's quickly recap what happened over the weekend, and then we'll dive into fantasy stuff again today because there's actually no basketball tonight. Uh, we do have Clippers and Suns tomorrow. I'll be popping on with Gail Alexander on VEASAN to talk about that first thing Tuesday morning, and then we'll have some more playoff betting stuff on tomorrow's episode of Fantasy NBA Today. But as we are concerned for now, over the weekend, the Clippers completed the four-game... I don't know, what do you call it? Can you call it a four-game sweep? After losing the first two, Clippers won four in a row. Last couple without Kawhi Leonard, including in Utah. A ferocious come-from-behind win uh, back at home to polish things off. That was on Friday uh, after winning game five in Utah. Jazz were up, what, weren't they up like 20 in that ballgame? Clippers outscored them like 80-something to 40-something in the second half. I, I don't remember the exact numbers, but... It was pretty remarkable. Terrence Mann, who I just talked about a moment ago, scored 39 in that ballgame. He was terrific. Reggie Jackson had 27. Pat Beverly had 12 off the bench. And both teams finally, after I talked about it for six damn games, both teams hit 23s in the same basketball game. 41 combined three-pointers in that one. Donovan Mitchell had 39 as well. Royce O'Neal and Jordan Clarkson had 21 apiece, but uh, everybody else was pretty not very good on the Jazz in that last ball game. It's really weird to look at the Jazz shooting breakdown and see that they lost this ball game. But the Clippers shot 57% in that game, which, by the way, wasn't that fast of a basketball game. By by number of possessions, Clippers had like a hundred possessions in that game. That's low in the modern NBA. Scored 131, 1.3 points. Per, I mean, that's wild. Jazz had a few extra possessions, actually. They just didn't do as much with them. Turned the ball over 16 times to the Clippers' six, and that basically wiped out the Jazz and their 10-rebound advantage in the ballgame. Jazz take care of the basketball. They'd probably win that game, and you're probably talking about Clippers' Jazz Game 7 here on today's podcast, but instead, because that series ended and the other one already began, we will be talking about uh, Clippers and Suns on our show tomorrow. Phoenix winning the opener, 120-114, to 114, shot 55% in that ballgame, and somehow, despite shooting only nine total free throws, the Suns prevailed. Clippers hit 23s again. But Paul George didn't have quite the same... Magic in that first game down in the Valley of the Sun. Reggie Jackson's magic continued. He had 24 again. But, I mean, there, there was a little bit of a rest thing going on here. Still, if you're the Clippers, 
I mean, here's the here's the thing about this series, and I, again, I want to go into more detail on it tomorrow because there's no game tonight. But no Kawhi Leonard, no Chris Paul for we don't really know how long. What a weird, weird playoffs the West turned out to be. Whoever, that's not even whoever could survive. It's whoever could survive the best. Clippers lost their best player. Donovan Mitchell played pretty well in that closing game, but I know he was playing on a bum ankle. LeBron's ankle, AD's whole leg. I mean, it's just body after but Jamal Murray. If you want to go to Denver, I know that happened during the regular season, but still counts. Michael Porter Jr. hurt himself in that series. Blazers were healthy. They just stunk. Mavs were healthy. They were pretty good, actually. They almost toppled the Clippers. Suns, Chris Paul in the protocols. Luckily, Devin Booker went nutso. 40-13-11, only two turnovers. This might be one of the best games of Devin Booker's career. Maybe the best game when you talk about just an efficiency standpoint. All good decisions, made buckets. He was brilliant. He was brilliant. DeAndre Ayton continues to play well, and this figures to be a good series for him because the Clippers, uh, their centers are not good. They're not. Sorry. I know that there's this weird Clippers fan... Uh, like the the blog circle, they love Ivica Zubats. Like he's the next big thing, but he's just a pretty good backup center. That's where he's at. And from a comparative analysis, the fact that they got Zubats for fairly useless Mike Muscala, that's a big win for the Clippers long term. But Zubats isn't actually that great of a basketball player, and you're seeing him. He basically gets played off the floor during the playoffs, as a lot of traditional centers do. Big guys that can't keep up for a whole ball game that aren't a massive impact player on either end of the floor. They just don't have a place. DeAndre Ayton staying on the floor is a big man because he has pretty good lateral mobility, because offensively he's been very successful, and defensively he's kind of been their anchor. But you saw Rudy Gobert basically get played off the floor by the Clippers in that last round. So Ayton's going to have its hands full, but... You know, you might argue that DeAndre Aiden is better offensively, and so that's an opportunity to keep him out there. We'll see. We'll see. Whoever gets their superstar back first probably wins this series, but I guess we'll have to wait and find that one out. Meanwhile, Atlanta went into Philadelphia and won Game 7, 103-96. Philly immediately throwing Ben Simmons under the bus. Uh, Joel Embiid basically doing so during a postgame press conference. Obviously not pleased with his teammates' lack of aggression of any kind. Tobias Harris needed to be better in this one because Embiid wasn't getting help from Simmons. He hasn't... I mean, Seth Curry was easily their second-best player in this, in these playoffs, but certainly this series. But it doesn't matter now because if you go back to Saturday, the Bucks took care of the Brooklyn Nets. That's a loose representation of the word took care of it was a hell of a ball game Milwaukee won at 115-111 in overtime Kevin Durant James Harden played all 53 minutes of that game without a single rest Bruce Brown rested for one minute Chris Middleton rested for 39 seconds Giannis rested for three minutes and he seemed to hold up the best I guess he's probably still the youngest of that bunch huh Brooke Lopez played 46 minutes and he was really good Drew Holiday was not very good. He's going to have to get it cranked up a little bit. But uh, Bucks and Hawks 
I had Bucks and Sixers, actually, in my Eastern Conference final, so I really was damn close. Philly needed to pull that one out of their rectum in Game 7. They could not. It remains lodged firmly in their rectum. So I don't know. I don't know. We'll break that one down uh, on tomorrow's show as well. We'll do a little series. I know that one of the series already started, but we'll talk a little bit about a series preview in the East and then a uh, series preview in the West with the series already a one game to none. But we do now have our conference finals. They are underway. Let's talk Dan Bespris' old man squad. That's where we left off. We did one player on Friday's show. We talked Kyle Lowry. And for those that missed... uh, Sheesh, I've forgotten. I think it's Wednesday, Thursday, and then the one player on Friday. I think that's as far back as the old man squad discussion goes. On Wednesday of last week, we talked about the superstars on discount. I'll try to keep that terminology together. That's the the Dan Bespris sods. Can't call them the D-bombs or the D-sods. That doesn't quite run. So we're just going to call them the sods. And then the old man squad, OMS, owns. And then we've got the non-boring value guys, which we'll get to eventually, and continues to be kind of hilarious to me that the non-boring guys turned out to be the worst, which is almost like the way I... You're like, oh, Dan, did you script it? No, I actually liked those guys. It either means that those guys aren't that much fun, and they're generally not that much fun, or as as they seem on paper, or I'm just not very good at picking the non-boring guys. (laughs) But I think I am, actually, in general, pretty good at this stuff. I win a lot. We lose a little, but we win a lot. So let's talk a little bit more about the old man squad, because on Friday we talked about Kyle Lowry and why that one missed after the first four old man squad picks were resounding victories. Gobert, Vooch, Chris Paul, and Chris Middleton were the first four listed. And they're they're listed, by the way, by organized by their Yahoo preseason rank, so it's not how much I like a player. I was just sort of going down the board. But Gobert, Vooch, Chris Paul, Chris Middleton, these guys I thought were relatively safe and predictable wins that went over their expected performance level because of, well, for Middleton, it was durability. For Chris Paul, it was durability. For Vooch, it was both. He was durable and he was number 11 on a per-game basis. And for Gobert, it was actually a little bit of both. More so the per-game stuff with Gobert. I thought he was going to be durable, but he was number 21 on a per-game basis. That was better than I expected on a game-by-game analysis. So we had all of those in really good shape, and then for some reason, we took a swing with a guy like Kyle Lowry, and in looking at some of the draft, the rank boards, even going back, where did Lowry generally get drafted? He fell in the 41-ish range. I think Yahoo had him... 45 on their preseason rank board when I put out the list. And the guys around him, aside from Middleton, especially if you look at the guys behind Lowry, so throw out all the names in front of him on the board, the guys that beat him behind him were Middleton, who was right behind him, uh, or right in front of him, actually. Excuse me, Middleton was was like two slots in front of him. Sorry, guys, get that right. Drew Holiday was behind him and won. Demonis Sabonis was behind him and won. I don't know how Demonis didn't appear on my my board here that's a that's a gross oversight um just looking at on a on a per game basis Lowry was wet he was 56 per game this year Jalen Brown Jonas Valanciunas and then really like you got to go all the way to CJ McCollum but he missed a ton of time 
Michael Porter Jr., he also missed a pretty good chunk of time, not nearly as much as McCollum or Lowry did, but still a, a pretty substantial moke. And then uh, Clint Capella, Tobias Harris. So you're moving... Pr- the reason I, I rattle off some of those names kind of quickly is that at that point, you've now moved like two rounds down the board, which presents you with a very difficult decision on draft day. If you have picked 45, you're sitting on Kyle Lowry... Maybe somebody even already took Demonis Sabonis just to make your life difficult. Do you go as far as a Jonas Valanciunas? Who, by the way, did make our list with an ADP of 54, nine slots later. Do you dare? Or do you take Lowry and hope that JV makes it back to you? These are the decisions that we're always wrestling with on draft day. How far down the board are we willing to venture? Well, after doing our analysis... Earlier in How Did Yahoo Do, we realized that the 41 through 50 range was one of their worst, one of their worst groups of 10, at least until you get like the 80, 90 range. So that probably would have been a good thing to know. To say, well, you know what? Here, I'm in this 41 through 50 range. The guys that I think could actually go top 40 in that group are Lowry, Middleton, Sabonis, Mitch Robb, Maybe JV, so like five out of the ten that I thought could could get themselves near the top 40 on a per-game basis. So yeah, at that point, you're probably either dive-bombing down to Mitchell Robinson or Jonas Valanciunas because someone probably already took Demonis Sabonis. I think he ended up going ahead of Lowry on actual draft days, but I may be misremembering that. And so with Kyle Lowry, I think th- that was one of those situations where we had him on our board, it was probably a little bit dumb, but if we didn't, there was going to be this giant drop-off. Like the next old man squad guy, uh, it was going to go Chris Middleton, and then there wasn't going to be another one for basically a full round. So what do you do? Who do you draft in there? In any event, let's start talking about some of the next guys on the board. The next one is DeMar DeRozan, who had a preseason rank of 50 on Yahoo that actually ended up getting adjusted down to 53 somehow I don't really know how that happened but believe it or not his per game rank was 53 so he was basically right on his mark even if you take 50 you call 50 to 53 that's a wash and Demar was ever so slightly more durable than the average player this year he finished at number 40 by totals we had him uh, with an ADP of 50 and a final rank of 38 so we missed by two on that one I call that one a win Process-wise, though, I think we do need to break this one down a little bit because I thought DeMar DeRozan would actually be a little bit better on a per-game basis and a little bit worse by durability. Now, as it turns out, he was slightly... I mean, it wasn't this big cataclysmic miss on both of those, but you know, I had him playing basically league average number of games, but being uh, more or less spot-on like, I thought he was going to be a guy who got drafted. What do we have, Matt? We had him at 38. I thought he was going to beat his ADP on a per-game basis. Uh, he was going to be, like, number 45 per game. And then maybe play league average games, or maybe one more game than league average. That pushes you up into that 40 range. But I'm not going to crack my own skull on this one. I think that one was close enough where we can probably just call it generally a success. And move along to the next one, which was our probably our biggest miss in all of the 
in the whole old man squad, and that was LaMarcus Aldridge, who I have to admit, even as I was putting him on the list, I had reservations about it. You guys may remember me talking about this right after I had my own draft, where I staring down the barrel of LaMarcus Aldridge and Miles Turner, and I went Miles Turner in a few spots who for some reason I'm now having trouble locating on my, Oh, there he is. He's like four or five spots behind him. Um, it, it got to me and I thought there's something I'm not fully handicapping on Aldridge. Like he got on the old man squad. It was a by default ranking and that was not good handicapping. It's why I didn't pick him. In drafts, and that sucks because I shouldn't have put him on the board, and that sucks for you guys that I wasn't even taking my own guy. Now, admittedly, he ended up quitting basketball because of a disease, uh, irregular heartbeat, I believe. And yeah, I mean, this season would have gone better. Perhaps some of his issues this year were because he was dealing with that stuff. So maybe he hits or gets closer to his mark if he's not dealing with stuff. But I look back at last year where he had an unseasonably high number of blocks, while at the same time you could see that his rebounding was dropping off precipitously. It wasn't anywhere near where it used to be. And then this year you saw the rebounding just fall straight off a cliff. The block rate actually stayed relatively high, but his total minutes per game came down. His field goal percent came down as he stepped out and took more threes. There was this old, this oldening of him last year that was starting to take effect and we sort of dodged the LaMarcus bullet last year because of how good he was at shot blocking in this weird like he gave you value in a place we didn't expect him to and probably shouldn't have expected it to continue and so he never really belonged he was yeah he's a member of an old man squad but at a certain point guys get too old for the old man squad where they then become a risk factor for all sorts of other stuff. I didn't think it was going to be a regular heartbeat, but injuries, rest days, all that type of stuff creeps in, and there was ever, never really any hope he was going to be playing a full complement of minutes this year. So what was I doing there is, I mean, that was just idiotic, and he should have never made the board, and the fact that I sort of yanked him off at the last second as I was going through my own drafts the day before the season start was indicative that, I should have never put him on there to begin with. So, yeah, that was lazy handicapping. You know, some of that was because of the quick turnaround season to season. Maybe we didn't have time to go in and say, does this actually make sense? But that's just not something you can do with a list you're putting out into the world, which is what I did. And we'll probably have guys like that this coming season. We're going to have to really deep dive a guy like a Kyle Lowry who... It's different because he had a down year, so there's actually going to be additional value where Aldridge is actually coming off a pretty good year, rank-wise, but we saw all these signs of things going the wrong way for him. I'll admit there really isn't anybody all that obvious in terms of carryover on this list that I'm about to go through with you guys that are sort of like an old dude who's just barely hanging on. Chris Paul would actually, he's probably the old man squad member that I'm the most worried about putting back on the list for the following year. Like, if I was just going to close my eyes, and there are other things that could go weird, like Buddy Heald is coming up at some point on this list, and by the way, um, his season actually turned out not that terrible. He was 56, uh, 
pre-ranking, he actually finished at 38 by total. So he beat his mark on the total side despite underachieving on the per-game basis. But the point is, like, weird things can happen. He's a guy that could maybe get traded. There, If you push all that aside and just think of it from a pure what's happening to this player standpoint, close your eyes and look at this whole list of names. Chris Paul, who's very old, and you're like, we've cashed in on him big time, two years in a row. But at a certain point, the the fuel in the tank is going to start to run dry, and you're going to get hit with one of those, okay, yeah, I am a little bit old sort of years, where, like, presumably if he's back in Phoenix again next season, and they, maybe they, I don't know, do they win the title? They're not going to have that much to prove during the regular season next year. That's going to be a keep-everybody-healthy type of year, where this season, that was an over-season win total bet we gave out on this podcast because they had everything to prove during the regular season. We belong. They don't need to do that anymore. And then the other one is Kyle Lowry, because was this a one-off, him just playing for a team that stunk in a city they didn't belong? Or is this the beginning of the downslope? Fantasy stat set-wise, it looks more like a one-off, although he's already he's generally pretty beat up. Now, Kyle Lowry's not a guy who's playing all... 82 games next year but like he had 17 and seven and a half five rebounds. he still did the stuff that we that that's good for him the steals were way down that's something to keep an eye on all that stuff needs to go into the handicapping the uh next name on the list is Jonas Valanciunas who was a weird one because he actually looked like he might be a big loss for parts of this season because he just totally stopped blocking shots and then came roaring back with a monster second half. Finished at 34 per game, 28 totals. Blew his ADP out of the water of 54. I had him at 32 on my final rank board. So finishing at 28 with a per game of 34, I'd say we got that one right. And that was an easy one. I don't think we need to go into a ton of detail on the breakdown here. Yo, uh, JV was handicapped because everybody kept telling me that Memphis was going to be playing young guys more at center, whether it was going to be JJJ or Xavier Tillman or whatever. But no, those guys can't. Those guys don't rebound. Those guys don't have the interior presence that JV has. As fast as the Grizzlies want to play, they were so much worse against good teams when JV was off the court. He was so critical for them. Without him out there, they were just getting smoked on the glass. No one on that team rebounds, really, besides Valanchunas. So, uh, you know, he's another one where I'm guessing people didn't realize how good he was again this year. Like, he's, he's a legitimately good basketball player. I love having JV on my fantasy team. 29 minutes a game, very repeatable numbers. 17 points, 12 and a half rebounds, a block, great Field goal percent, decent enough. Free throw percent that, who knows, on any given year could fluctuate up by two or three. Uh, and he's got another year on his deal in Memphis. $14 million contract for 21-22 season. And uh, then he becomes an unrestricted free agent. So uh, with Memphis presumably looking to take another step this coming year, I, I don't I don't see how JV's role changes all that much. I guess you could argue maybe they try to peel him back by one or two minutes a game, but it's not like, he had any durability issues. 
games he missed this year, it was a couple of them in protocol. Remember, he had the false alarm and then the real alarm, and he missed like a week in a game there. That was pretty much it. How do you not like a guy who stays on the floor like that? Unless everything's going wrong. I mean, unless he's got COVID, effectively, or exposed to COVID. So, uh, obliterated his ADP. Easy win, JV. Love that one. And we'll probably go back to the well there if the price is even decent. Buddy Heald is a weird one. Maybe we'll do Heald and one more player on today's show. I don't know. We'll see how far we go. Buddy Heald is a weird one because uh, he's, he's the guy who crushed his ADP. I had his final rank as 34 on our board, ADP of 58. And his final rank was 38, so we got pretty close there. But on a per-game basis, he was 79. So he was way down the chart, healed in the, in the 80 range, because he forgot how to shoot. He shot 41% from the field this year. 17 points, 5 boards, 4 assists, 4 three-pointers a game, and a steal. 85% free throws. Not that many of them, but still good. 34 minutes a game in that Kings offense, but just forgot how to shoot a basketball. 40.6 was the field goal percent. So I believe there's actually upward opportunity for Heald. He's going to play if he's healthy. He's he's a floor spacer on that team. Kings are going to have, I think, some, some moves this offseason, so it's possible he's one of them. I don't want to make any overarching claims about where I would consider drafting Buddy Heald, but uh, he's shown himself to be pretty durable. I think you can probably throw that 10th category on him. It doesn't feel fluky. 71 out of 72 games this year, 72 out of 72 last year, 82 out of 82 the year before that, 80 out of 82. He's only missed three games in four years now. That's a really big deal. More so in head-to-head than in Roto because, you know, you got a top 75. I mean, he's basically a league average type of performer in that 75 to 80 range playing in every single ball game. That's useful. That's good. Like I said, I mean, again, he... Finished inside the top 40 by totals. But some of that's a, a, a bit inflated. Like I'd rather have a guy who misses five or six more games than that who's better on a per-game basis in my Roto Leagues. I get it in head-to-head. It's really nice to have a guy who just plays every damn game reliably. Um, but I don't know. We're down to the part of a draft now where playing in all 82 games is really nice, but not... 100% necessary in Roto Leagues. Head-to-head, yes. Regardless, it was a hit. I think we got a tiny bit lucky here. But durability is a big deal. Durability is a big deal. Um, I had him ranked 34. I don't know. I thought he'd be around top 60 on a per-game basis. Like, real close to his actual draft slot and then play more games than the average player. But this was a little bit artificially inflated by the durability aspect of things. As much as I love it, you also have to sort of account for it. And let's do one more player. That one more player is Clint Capella, who had a preseason rank of 60 on Yahoo this year. 60. And just crushed it. Three full rounds. Number 24 by totals on the season, number 26 by averages. He stayed healthy enough. You know Capella's always going to miss a handful of games, but he stayed healthy enough, and he turned out to be unbelievably important 
for the Hawks in remaking their defense in particular after the coaching turnover. And the beauty part is he's signed for two more years. He ain't going anywhere. Uh, Anyika Okongwu is, or Nathan Knight, these are the guys waiting in the wings behind him, and they're not pushing Capella, not while the Hawks now uh, fancy themselves, and can't argue against it, contenders. They're in the Eastern Conference Finals, damn it. So they're not about to go youth movement at center when Capella's been this good. He's going to get underdrafted again next year because it was relatively boring. It was boring in a delightful way, though. He missed his handful of games like he always does. He always misses his 10 games, 12 games, whatever it is, but averaged basically 15 and 14 with two blocks. And I know the free throw shooting sucks. He's at 56% this year. And he got to the line a few times, so it did put a little bit of a dent into you. But I'll tell you what, it's pretty easy to wipe out. Damian Lillard more than wipes it out by himself. You throw one other decent foul shooter in there, and you're good. Then Capella's, you can you can roster that. And he carries you in a couple of categories. Two blocks a game is a big deal. Pretty good volume, 60% from the field is a pretty big deal. 14 rebounds a game is a very big deal. Did he lead the? I mean, he might have led the NBA this year. Yeah, he beat Gobert, the rebound king. A guy having that kind of impact on on field goal percent is also a really big deal. The only reason he wasn't ahead of Gobert in overall rankings is because Rudy just played more games. And I love both of these guys. They're like both my old man squad children. But one of them was getting drafted. 30 slots later than the other. So in terms of the handicap, again, we sort of do process versus result. The result was obviously very good. I had him ranked at 48 in my results, so he way overperformed that marker. I can't take all the credit. I thought he was going to be a fifth rounder, and he was a second rounder, basically. Late second, early third, depending on what sites you're looking at. So what did I get right and what did I get wrong? Well, I thought that there would be a peel back on minutes played this year for Capella. Uh, this was a guy who, during his time in Houston, was the only big man on the roster. I mean, there, I, I don't say that in a hyperbolic fashion. He was the only big man on the roster. They had no choice. If they didn't play him, they would never get a rebound in a ball game. So you look at this year and you thought, okay... He's not playing 33 minutes a game for Atlanta. They've got John Collins, who can go small ball center. They got Nathan Knight. They got a Kongwu, the young fella. Someone else is going to soak up a few of those minutes. And then the Hawks realized that Capella changed everything for them at the defensive end of the floor. And his minutes held at 30. I thought for sure those minutes were dropping to 27. And even at 27, I still had him inside the top 50. Because it was going to be more like Houston 2017-2018, which is like 14 and 11 with two blocks. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. But he managed to crank it up to 30 minutes again, so it was 15 and 14 with two blocks. 0.7 steals, that seems to hold for him fairly steady. And career high in field goal attempts with Atlanta at 11 per ball game. I think a lot of that is just pace. 
Everybody saw the Rockets under Mike D'Antoni and figured they were the fastest team in the league. They really weren't the fastest team in the league. It was a lot of Harden setting things up with a screen and roll, Harden on an ISO. A lot of time came off the clock with James Harden just getting things set up. Where the Hawks, they're running a bit more. A few extra possessions, one extra shot for Capella. That's a big deal. 13 becomes 15 points very quickly. I think it's really only one. I mean, two years ago in Houston when he played 33 minutes a game, that's really the only other time where you can look at him and say, boy, he might have even he might have had a better season that year. But even that's a bit of a stretch. Now, he's around. He's around to stay. He'll probably get drafted earlier than 60 next year, but I think he'll still be undervalued. Um, I, I, I think the reason perhaps, and I, I don't know, we're at a, a juncture now in late June where we don't really know, but I believe that the reason he goes earlier is not necessarily because of how good of a season he had. Being number 26 on a per-game basis is going to pull your number up a little bit, but I think people are going to see the big rebounds. They're going to see that he led the league in that category, and that'll push him back up, and I bet he gets drafted in the... Mm, boy, is he going the 30s next year? If he goes in the 30s, I might dodge it. If he goes in the 40s, I'd probably look into it again because I still would rather have a guy like a Vooch or a Gobert than Capella simply because those guys might play close to 82 games and Capella just won't. 74 is probably his max. You're looking at more like 70 as your target next season. But I get ahead of myself, and I'm excited to do so. We have many more names on the Dan Bassworth Old Man Squad. Tomorrow we'll break down the two conference finals matchups and we'll pick up with my favorite recently eliminated from the playoffs old man squad member of all the man whose face is the logo for the Dan Bespris old man squad yep he is the one half of the Toby and Bobby show and it's not Marjanovic Tobias Harris who had a preseason rank of 61 and finished almost right next to Clint Capella at 21. Almost beat his mark by four damn rounds. Hugs and kisses to Tobias Harris. We'll start next show with a breakdown on that handicap, which is going to be really simple to say. (laughs) Uh, He's Tobias Harris. He's the old man squad member, and no matter what he does, no one will ever draft him inside 45. Oh, crap, I might have done it on this show. Whatever, doesn't matter. Uh, thanks to everybody for continuing to listen. Thanks for checking out manscaped.com with promo code HoopBall20. We'll also get more of our promos into tomorrow's show, but I will remind you guys again, if you're interested in starting a podcast about anything on earth, hit me up on Twitter at Dan Bespris. Please rate and review the show. And if you're interested in starting a uh, an account at mybookie.ag, please let me know so I can put some cash in your pockets when you walk through their electronic front neon doors. Have a great Monday, everybody. We'll talk to you tomorrow. So long.